Great. Um, well, hello. My name is Jonah. Um, if we haven't met, it's nice to meet you from afar. Um, I am on team here, training to be a priest in the Church of England, um, which is very exciting. Um, how's everyone doing temperature-wise? Yeah, that's good. There's no masks this year, which is really nice. So we can see your full faces. Um, before we get going, uh, clash of readings, because I prepared a sermon according to the lectionary, being the good Church of England boy that I am. And these are not, these are not the lectionary readings. So Pete is going to come up and do one more reading. The difference with this reading is it's not going to come up on the screen. And um, come on up, mate. Come on up. Um, this is also last minute. So Pete, thank you. Um, the difference with this reading is that um, it's from Isaiah as well, but what I'd encourage you to do, is, if, if you feel comfortable, is um, close your eyes and use your imagination, because with the prophets, um, what we find um, often is we can read them and try and kind of understand them and um, try and kind of apply, uh, I don't know, how we'd read like a textbook to how we'd read the prophets. But actually, sometimes, especially with these passages, the, uh, the like, mind's eye helps you imagine what Isaiah was trying to get at. Um, and what I'd encourage you to do is, as Pete's reading this, is um, use your imagination to understand and try and grasp what Isaiah is saying, the difference that he's speaking about. Um, so why don't we close our eyes and, yeah, Pete, go for it. All right, Isaiah, or this one as well? No, no, just that. All right, great, sorry. Um, Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Crumbs alive, that's good news, isn't it? Um, I don't know what you um, think about when you think about Advent. So we are in a time of Advent. Um, If you didn't know, we're edging closer to Christmas with the distinct lack of Christmas presents that I bought. Um, You may have um, happy memories of Christmas. It may be, for you, um, a time of caroling. 
John Lewis adverts that you get excited about. Um, time with the family, um, nice food, maybe some wine. Um, or it may be bad memories. Um, it may be uh, separation may compound a sense of uh, what's not here. Um, it may be uh, a time that reminds you maybe of some sadness and um, maybe some childhood stuff or some things that have happened in the past. Um, but whatever um, Advent uh, represents for you, what I want to encourage all of us today is that the Christian understanding, and particularly um, I would be controversial in saying the Church of England and Episcopalian understanding of Advent is that um, Advent represents uh, a time where light uh, overwhelms darkness, that we can fully look at darkness and find the light, which is Jesus in the midst of it. Um, I was preaching this uh, sermon this morning um, and apologies to the people who are there, um, in prison. And there's a sense of which uh, Advent is quite an easy topic to preach in prison because Advent is all about darkness and finding light in it. It's a really honest season. It's where we face up to uh, the parts of ourselves and the parts of the world that are uncomfortable and the... Uh, scripture and tradition calls us to face it in light of Jesus coming to earth and in light of him returning again. And um, with uh, a prison congregation, it's slightly different, especially when you're speaking about how we handle darkness, right? I was going through this with Abby, my wife, earlier, and I was having to temper some of the content um, because actually it's usually, um, it's really explicit how a lot of those guys inside deal with their darkness and deal with darkness that has surrounded them, um, whether it's sex or drugs or addictions that lead them into spirals of offending and shame and poverty and ultimately incarceration. But for us, it's mo much, much more nuanced, isn't it? Um, for me, it's probably, I don't know, computer games when I'm feeling sad I spend a bit too much time playing computer games or binge binging on Ben and Jerry's ice cream that I was meant to share with abs uh, we may have some more darker stuff that actually we survive the darkness with whether that's also addictions or maybe like drinking just a little bit too much or overeating maybe or spending time with people too much or maybe too little time with people we all have ways that we kind of face and cope with the darkness that surrounds us. But in Advent, we hear of a story that says Jesus comes into that darkness and helps us through it. That's what that amazing, just absolutely stunning Isaiah passage speaks about. It speaks about this transformation of a wilderness, not to completely change it and to reject it, but it gives us a way through it. It says it turns it into um, this land where we get through the wilderness on a way of holiness. And what Isaiah says is that he was, firstly, he was speaking, Isaiah, he was speaking to a wilderness place. This is like a prime Advent reading, which I just love. He was speaking to a 
oppressed people group. Um, they had a constant threat of uh, war and violence against them. And he's speaking into that context, and he says two things. So firstly, he says, do not fear. There's that beautiful passage. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So he does two things within that. He speaks to a current promise, which is God in the midst of the wilderness. But then he also speaks to a less trendy future promise, which is God's return and judgment, which we don't really speak about very often, uh, but we're faced with in Advent, which is that actually there's this future eternal promise, which is God returning. And he's going to judge the quick, is it the translation, living and the dead, quick and the dead, or whatever it is. And the second thing that he does, so he says, do not fear. Isaiah says, do not fear. The second thing that he does is he offers hope in the midst of wilderness. And what he does, which I was just saying, is he doesn't promise that the wilderness isn't going to exist. He fully acknowledges the wilderness. And he says, we're in a wilderness period. But what he does say is that actually it, beca- it transforms when you do it in the presence of God. When you journey through the wilderness in the presence of God, it is transformed. I don't have enough space on this lectern. But I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this, when I'm probably in a place that feels like the wilderness, this feels really hard to believe. When you're in a place where it feels overwhelmingly dark, and let's be honest, a lot of people don't have to look far and wide with rising energy costs um, coming out the back end of COVID, mental health crisis, like darkness isn't far off for a lot of us, right? And a lot of the time, difference with um, maybe us and the congregation that I was with this morning is that it's just probably a bit more subtle and we don't really talk about the darkness that is in front of us or is within us that we don't really like facing. And when we're in this place and when we actually face it, we start to question, don't we? Is, is God actually good? Is Jesus faithful? Does he actually love me? Is he actually close to me? Like, I feel lonely. I feel overwhelmed by the dark. Is he actually here with me? And those are very adventy questions, if I may use that phrase. They're very good questions to ask in this season. We're in good company. We're in the company of amazing saints like Martin Luther King, people like that, Thomas Merton, who ask those big, hard questions. And it usually leads to huge change. But we're also in the company of Mr. Advent himself, John the Baptist, or as one of my friends likes to call him, JTB. And what we find with John the Baptist, JTB, yeah, exactly. What we find with John the Baptist and with all those people that kind of shout into the darkness, are you there, is we find great comfort. We find um, huge encouragement to continue asking the questions, to continue seeing if God's there, if the light is actually there, discovering the light afresh. You see, for John and the passage that I'm just going to quickly land with, Matthew 11, if you want to look at it later, because you will be so excited by this talk. Um, 
for John, he was a fascinating man, right? So the Israelites had had 400 years of silence, 400 years of not hearing God's voice. Then God's voice comes over John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and says, you're going to have a child. And they're kind of like, what the heck? And uh, Zechariah is so shocked that Gabriel thinks it's a good idea to silence him for nine months. And they have this baby, John. John scorns the temple tradition, right? He says, ah, this is great that I'm meant to be a priest in the temple tradition, but I'm going to go into the wilderness and preach repentance and other unpopular opinions. So he goes into the wilderness and he lives this life, which is basically preparation for Jesus. Well, it is complete preparation for Jesus. God has chosen him to do a specific task to prepare the time and place to receive Jesus. To make the way straight, I think he says, something like that. And then what happens in Matthew 11 and where we find John is John is suddenly in this hopeless position. He's in prison. He's, I, think, I think he's been in there for 18 months. And the passage even starts um, in Matthew 11. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. John is in prison for about 18 to 12 months, and he hears what, God's, what Jesus is doing. And he begins to question. He's like, really? Like, is this actually, like, what you're meant to be doing? Like, I have spent my whole life preparing for this moment. I'm in prison. You're doing all that stuff. And, like, surely not. Like, is there hope? Like, are you there? John tells his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And what I love about this moment is it feels so human. It feels so human in the midst of um, John and Jesus's life as cousins. Um, and, and in the Bible, it's just one of those amazingly human stories. And the thing that um, was happening with John that I think is John's expectations of what Jesus was going to do, who Jesus was going to be, um, were turned on their head. So John, coming from the, um, the tradition of Israel, was expecting a kind of Moses messianic figure, right? He was expecting um, all guns blazing, John Wayne, I'm going to come and save you, release you from the... Uh, oppressors of the Roman rule. He's in prison. He's probably thinking, this is quite a good opportunity for Jesus to come in and, you know, release me. This is a good time. And then he's in prison. It says he hears what Jesus is doing. And what's Jesus doing? He's like eating with people and like healing people and like spending time with people that he shouldn't really be spending time with. He's kind of annoying people, um, but he's not really like liberating people in like the tradition of maybe say Moses and others and people who like Maccabeus and people like him. So John's in this place and his expectations of Jesus aren't as he um, expected. So he asked this question to Jesus like we do when we're in the wilderness, right? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Should I start looking to other places for hope? Are you the one that is going to fulfill what, you know, the, what we've all been waiting for? And um, what Jesus says um, kind of cracks me up. It's very Jesus. 
Um, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And what Jesus is doing here that I just think is completely remarkable is Jesus is using the same text that John used when he announced himself, saying that he was um, the one in the wilderness, calling from the wilderness. He's using the same book to say back to John who Jesus is. So what Jesus is doing is when John's in this hopeless situation, he's reminding John of his identity, but also he's reminding John of Israel's identity, the people's identity. And what he's also saying is John would have been drenched in this literature. He would have known Isaiah like the back of his hand. And what John would have known is that when someone announced that um, he was the one to do all this stuff, he would have known that what Jesus was saying is, there is a new kingdom here. There is a new kingdom kicking off, and it's not the one that you're expecting. It's one that liberates us from um, the perpetual sin and shame that we find ourselves in, not just from the momentary structural oppression that we find ourselves in. So it was really easy for John to get caught up in the, in the momentary oppression, i.e. prison, which is fairly valid, it was, it, was, it was very easy for him to get caught up in wanting freedom from that. But what Jesus was saying is, Jesus wasn't saying he's not interested in that, by the way. Jesus was just saying, I am actually doing something way deeper and way more, um, something with much more longevity, something that goes beyond your circumstance. Um, so I actually, I'm just going to land there. Um, but what I want to land with is I just want to land with two things. Um, and my, my question, I think, to all of us tonight is, um, yeah, do, do we relate? Do we relate to John? Um, and if yes, then you're in the good, good place. Um, you're in a good season. You're in a season where you can ask those questions and um, you can explore those questions. Um, and if no, then um, if we can't relate to that, and actually um, if we're not feeling overwhelmed by the, maybe the darkness or the ache of the world, um, then I'd encourage you to interrogate, actually, whether um, you have numbed yourself and whether you have um, maybe shut some of those senses down that keep us soft um, to, I think it's Bart that he says, the ache of the world. I'd encourage you to spend time doing that. Um, and the second thing that I'd um, just want to say is um, don't give up that first passage. Don't give up. Take heart if you're in that place. If you're in a place of darkness, if you're in a place of feeling overwhelmed, by the world, be strong, fear not, take heart, behold, your God is coming to save you. And the final thing that I want to say and just remind us in a time of Advent is that Jesus is here. It's the gift of Advent is that Jesus has come and we await his second coming as well. The word made flesh, 
he became flesh. He took on um, what we are. Gregory of Nazianzus says, what has not been assumed has not been healed. It is what is united. It is, it is what is united to his divinity that is saved. In much simpler words, basically, Jesus came as we exist in flesh, which means we're deeply united to him. And what I want to say to you this morning is Jesus' coming has remarkable effects for our lives. It means that we can exist in a wilderness and find a way through it, the way of holiness with peace and with Jesus' love in our being. So why don't we close our eyes and I'd love just to pray for us.